detours on the road to your destiny. As I've done each week, I want to make sure we're clear on what we mean by that term, destiny. We revisit the same definition that we've been looking at for the last four weeks now. The customized life calling for which God has equipped and ordained us in order to bring him the greatest glory and the maximum expansion of his kingdom. It's very important that we have that frame of reference because if not, we could go off on a different tangent and think we're talking about our job, our career, so on and so forth. I won't repeat all that. We've done that, but I'm doing that for the benefit of those of you who may have missed a Sunday or who have not been here on a particular Sunday in this series. But the thing about our journey to our destiny is that God seldom takes us on a straight line. Rather, he zigzags back and forth, taking us from one detour, one interruption, one unexpected stop, one illness, one hardship, one setback from one to another. And there's a reason he does that, I do believe, is because he's doing two things at the same time. He's working preparing us for our life calling. And at the same time, he's preparing our destiny for us. God is able to do that kind of thing, you know. He's doing two things at the same time with you, with you individually. Now imagine, just just think about how much he's doing as all of us are moving toward our life calling. He's doing a lot of things at the same time because he is God and he can do that. Now, it's during that period between the two, that period between him working on us and he's working on our destiny, that a lot of times in this period between, it's a period of struggle, suffering, disappointment, a period that we are sometimes tested. And I want to add to that. Sometimes it's a period where everything is just going peachy cream. Well, in that period of time, we might feel things like, I don't want to wait. I, 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 I know what the Lord has for me, and I want it now. Or, or we might have this feeling of, I, I didn't sign up for all this heartbreak and setbacks. You know, why am I going through this? Valid questions. But it's a problem. When those words become the regular cry of our hearts, We begin to move away from God because he has us right here where he wants us, right here in between where we are and where he wants us to go while he's working on us and working on our destiny. But if we keep crying out, oh, woe is me. I don't want to suffer this. Why am I going through this? We find ourselves moving away from God. And you know what we do when we start moving away from God? We start relying on our own strength. We start relying on our own way. We start relying on our own ability to get the job done. And as a result, we may be even further delayed in making it to our life's calling. Now, to avoid this kind of a journey or this kind of thinking, I believe what we need is a change of perspective. Perspective. Another word that I need to define, it's not, you know, not a big word, but it's simply a particular attitude toward or way of regarding something, a point of view. We need a change of perspective. 
I want to put a question up before you. You might want to take a screenshot. You might want to jot this down. This question is going to come back at us throughout this message. And I pray that I'm kind of brief because we have a way of ending our service today. I think you will find very powerful, very fitting for the series we've been in. But what kind of confidence would you live with in life if you really believed God was with you? Now, I don't mean to insult anyone. If you believe it wholeheartedly and never doubt it, hey, praise the Lord. I'm talking to people like me that sometimes in the tough times I begin to kind of move away from because I'm wondering, is God really with me? The title of this message today is, It's a Matter of Perspective. It's a Matter of Perspective. You know, we've been looking at the life of Joseph. Let's catch this up real quick. You know, we know that because of the relationship with him and his brothers led him into slavery, which led him to Potiphar's house, which led him to this encounter with Potiphar's wife. He was falsely accused. It led him to prison. And um, then he had this experience with this cupbearer. The cupbearer forgot him after he interpreted his dream, which led him to Pharaoh, which led him to the throne. And from the throne, Joseph could save God's people. Last week we left off, and we want to kind of move about 10 years forward from where we left off last week, because the famine that he predicted has come. You know, he predicted to Pharaoh in his dream that they would have seven years of prosperity, seven years of gain, seven years of things would be just good, followed by seven years of famine. And now, where we're going to pick up today, we're there. The famine has come. Things have gotten really bad. And the whole region is starving. And the only place that has food is Egypt because of Joseph's warning. Joseph's family, his brothers, his dad, they're back in Canaan. They're affected by this also. And Jacob sends his sons down to Egypt to buy some food. And Joseph immediately recognized them, but they don't recognize him. He recognizes his brothers, but they don't recognize him. Because by this time, he's had several years in Egypt. He's been in the pit. He got pulled out of the pit, got into Potiphar's house. He spent time in jail. Now he's in Pharaoh's kingdom. And seven years of prosperity has passed by. He's two years in into the famine, so he's been there for a minute. He's grown accustomed to those ways. You know, when he's down in the prison, he gets to know the people of Egypt. He knows how to handle them and how to work with them. So here they are in Genesis 42, 24. And his brothers don't recognize them, and they begin to talk about what they've done to Joseph. And they don't realize that Joseph understands every word that they're saying. And he's overcome with emotion. So what perspective does Joseph have about his brothers? Well, we see in chapters 42, 43, 44, he really doesn't know exactly what to take, you know, about these guys. Because the last time he encountered them, remember what they did to him? They sold him into slavery. So he's not sure about his brothers. And so he sends them on a series of tests to kind of check out and see where their heart is. But then by the time we get to chapter 45, He can't take it anymore. He reveals himself to his brothers. They've gone back 
to Canaan one time. They came back. He sent them back again. And now when they're back, he's talking to them and he just can't take it anymore. He tells them, it's me, Joseph. And his brothers, what, are their, what is their perception of Joseph? The Bible tells them they can't say a word because they are frightened, they are petrified, they are terrified because they knew what they had done to their brother. And here it is, they, this man is saying he is Joseph. He was probably, you know, attired like an Egyptian, had makeup look like Egyptians. He looked like an Egyptian, walked like an Egyptian, talked like an Egyptian. He had an Egyptian wife and Egyptian kids, so they didn't recognize him. But when he identified himself to them, they were terrified. They didn't know which way to go. Perspective, a particular attitude toward a way of regarding something, a point or view. But what was Joseph's perspective to them? Listen to what the Bible records in the fifth through the seventh verse. They couldn't speak. They were terrified. Listen to what Joseph says to them. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Joseph, with Pharaoh's help, sends people and resources back to Canaan to get all of his family, his father and all of his family, and bring them to this place, to Egypt. Because they would not have survived in Canaan. This famine was serious. It was widespread. There was no food to eat anywhere. And because Joseph heard from the Lord, and the Lord was with Joseph, Joseph had a plan that would they would stockpile this food in the cities in Egypt. And so he sent for his father and his families. What about Jacob? What was his perspective on all this? You know, Jacob, Jacob was one who knew the promise of the Lord. He knew from his grandfather Abraham what was supposed to happen. He knew that they were the chosen people. He knew that they were going to be coming to a land flowing with milk and honey. He knew the promises. And he was here in Canaan, and now they're talking about going to Egypt. He wasn't so, you know, in a hurry to go. But look at chapter 45, verse 8. No, I'm sorry, chapter 46, verse 3 and 4. I am God, the God of your father, God said to Jacob. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great, into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again, and Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. And so Jacob does go to Egypt. It was so good, God had been moving so powerfully that not only were they going to Egypt, but Pharaoh even had a choice piece of land for them to settle on. And they did. Joseph went on to gain wealth for Egypt. He managed, managed the affairs of, the, of Egypt all during this famine. How do you know how to do that? How do you know how to deal with these people? Remember the time he spent in prison? Yeah. You remember the time he spent in Potiphar's house? God was preparing him 
for this destiny, for this calling that God had on his life. Jacob goes on to live in Egypt for 17 years. Chapter 47. In chapter 48, he gets sick. He's ill. He's going to the end of his days. Before he dies, he blesses Joseph's sons. We see that in chapter 48. In chapter 49, he blesses his own sons. And then he dies. And this is where I want to pick up and kind of dig, dig in a little bit. Now, Jacob has died. They had been in Egypt for additional 17 years. Joseph had taken care of them. They had all that they needed in this foreign land. But look what the brothers say in chapter 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pay us back for all the wrongs we did to him? Now, I know I've run through this real quick, but let's pause here for a second. This is fascinating. We read earlier Joseph telling them that God had placed him in this place so that they could be saved. He told them that in those uncertain terms. And not only did he tell them that, but he demonstrated it to them by, by making sure they had a place to stay, they had resources, they, 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 were, they were living in this land of Egypt and prospering. Seventy people that came from the old country here and they were given places. He told them all that, but look what their brothers say. They, they were, you know what it is? Dad is gone now. I wonder if he's going to turn on us now. See, even though all these things are taking place, they really did. Their perception of Joseph still was one of, I don't know if he really has forgiven us or not. <laughs> so they sent word to Joseph. Now, now get this, the, thick, the, the plot thickens a little bit. Listen to what they send this message to him. Your father, his father's dead now. Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of, your, of the servants of the God of your father. When Joseph heard the message, the Bible says he wept. Why did he weep, I wonder? Because all this time, I believe he thought that he had demonstrated to them that God was with him. It was because of God's presence that all this was going on and that he had long since forgiven them, but now he finds out that his brother still did not trust him. He wept in response. How would your outlook on life change if you really believed that in all things, that in everything, God is with you? that he was with you. How would your life change if you believe that in everything God is with you? I'm talking about that thing that happened to you. That mistake that was made. The terrible thing that happened in your life. I'm talking about what, what if you really did believe that God was with you then just as he's with you? What I wonder how would your life change if you really believed that in your present circumstance, God is there. That he has not forsaken you. 
that he has not abandoned you. What, what difference would it make in your life if you really believe that? You see, God was as much at work in the pit and the prison as he was in the palace. We continue on down in verse 18 through 20. His brothers came and threw themselves down before him. And look what they say. We are your slaves. Can you see how the lack of the presence of God in our life, a clear understanding that God is with us, would cause us to look so poorly upon our own selves? Here it is. They've been there now for years now. Not, they just didn't come yesterday. They, they, this wasn't a Thanksgiving meal that they just came from all around. They spent a couple of hours together and they went home. No, they had been with him now for a while. And yet, here they are thinking of themselves of, as slaves to their own brother. But look at Joseph's response. He said, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? And then here we go. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You know, sometimes we have a hard time believing that God is in it because the evil that was perpetrated against us. But we talked about that last week. God is a sovereign God. He is the ruler. He is the creator. He is the sustainer of all. Nothing happens that doesn't pass through his hands. And, and, and therefore, because of his providential nature, he can take and turn anything that happens in our life. And I mean anything. I'm talking about anything. Did you hear what I'm saying? Anything. He can turn that in our lives and make it work for the good as long as we submit it to him, that we release it to him, that we acknowledge him, that we seek him, that we see him in the middle of all the pain. Now, I want to give you, let me give a little disclaimer here. Sometimes we won't see this in this life happen. But don't forget, we are believers in Jesus Christ, and this life is not all there is to be seen. So don't, don't, get, don't get caught up sometimes if it seems like, well, you know, they never saw it happen. If they believe in Jesus Christ, there is a longer time left than there is here. And that, we got to keep that in mind. That's amazing that he would, in response, tell them, don't be afraid. And not only that, but Joseph learned to give grace. Look what's in verse 21. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This is because he knew that God had a good plan, a plan that involved salvation not only for his brothers but for him too. And because of that, he was able to extend grace to his brothers. His ability to forgive here is amazing. I, I don't know if we really realize the, the scope and the impact of what his brothers had done to him. But he was able to forgive because it wasn't a feeling that he had. It wasn't that he was superhuman. It was a choice. It was a choice that he made because he was grounded in the knowledge that two things. One, God had been in control of all things in his life, and two, that God had been showing great grace toward him all the time. Some of us have a problem with forgiving. 
Some of us, truth be told, Thanksgiving holidays wasn't all that great. I, I, you know, you, you hear the response when we say, do you have a good time? Sometimes it's painful because we're around people that we just can't seem to let off the hook. And you know why? It's because, because we feel like they've damaged us. We feel like they took something from us and that we will no, won't be able to get it back. And we feel like we, does, we, we, are, we are justified in hating them. But what if you believe that behind all those bad things, there is a good God who is taking care of you and working all things for good? What if you believe that? I'm talking about that person that, when I talk about forgive, pops up in your head. I'm talking about that situation. I'm even talking about that episode you happen in your life that you keep going back to and revisiting. I'm talking about that. This morning, I want to invite someone that's going to come and share a testimony with us. A testimony of just how she learned that God is a good God and that he was taking care of her even when bad things were coming her way. Would y'all welcome Patty Kelly as she makes her way here on the stage? As Patty makes her way, as I began to think about this series, I found out there was a group that was actually studying the book by Tony Evans called Detours. And in their small group, Patty one day told her story to them. And they contacted me and said, You need to hear this story. And I did. And Patty is going to share it with you. Patty? Right here. Good morning. I hope y'all can hear me. Um, like all of you, I've had a lot of detours along the way of life. And one of the more dramatic detours happened when I was in college. I loved college life, hanging out with my friends, going to football games, until one night um, the unthinkable happened. I was at work in a store, and a stranger came in and took me at the threat of life. Um, He drove me to another county, and I experienced evil in a way that no one should experience. And after a couple of hours, um, he left me and said he didn't have the heart to kill me. And I managed to come out of those woods, and some good Samaritans found me, And they took me back to the store that I was working in. And a customer had already come into the store and found it unoccupied. So they had already called the police, and the police suspected foul play. So they were already searching for me. But that night, I felt like I lost my very identity. I lost the rights to myself. I had so much shame and guilt and fear Um, that it really changed the way that I viewed myself, that I viewed the world I lived in, and the way that I viewed God. I couldn't imagine how a loving God could allow such evil to exist in the world. Um, Not many people knew about what happened, but um, some members of my family knew, and they told me um, not to worry, they wouldn't tell anyone, and to just gloss over it. And so I spent several months working with the police as they did an investigation, 
And so I relived the horror of that night over and over again until a few months later I thought enough is enough. Um, Enough has been taken. I'm not giving this another day. I am not going to think about it anymore. I am going to gloss over it. And I ran from God and I ran from the truth. Um, About 15 years later, my detour took another detour. I was married and had a great career and two children, and my marriage started to fail. And when that happened, my past was used as a weapon against me. Um, I had been silent for so long, and secrecy is such fertile ground for lies to grow, for, for shame to grow. I believed the lies that I was damaged, I wasn't good enough, if only people knew, what would they think? I had guilt and shame, and the fear was so real that I felt like if I told anyone what really happened that night, that the earth would open up and swallow me whole. So when it was used against me, I really started to think, if there's something wrong with me, I am going to fix me. So I just looked up a counselor in the yellow pages, and I was not looking for a Christian counselor, but I went in and told her what brought me there that day. And she asked if she could pray for me. And I thought, sure, anoint my head with oil, give me a lucky rabbit's foot, whatever makes you feel better. But she prayed for me, and when she did, I could tell that she had a relationship with the person she was praying to and that she believed that he could help. It actually gave me hope. I left um, feeling, feeling better. And so I decided to do a test. Another time when I went, I asked her, would you pray for me again? And she did. And it lit a small flame inside of me. I ended up buying a Bible. I started reading God's word, and I was so touched that God is a God who sees our suffering. And I read that, you know, what's meant for evil, he uses for good. And I could see that what happened was evil and that God was using it for good for my very salvation. So one of the first scriptures I memorized was Psalm 139. I love that psalm. I love that he knit us together in our mother's womb, that he saw our unformed bodies, that when we awake, he is still with us. And then it goes on to say, If only you would sway the wicked, O Lord, away from me, you bloodthirsty men. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? For years that felt like license to hate the wicked and the evil. Well, about two years ago, when I was reciting that, I started tripping over the words, if only. Why is if only there? It doesn't say, thank you for slaying the wicked. God does not hate the wicked. He does not hate those who hate him. So I just really started... um, praying about that, and what, what do I do with that? The Bible says that we are to bless those, bless our enemies, to love them, to pray for them, to do good to them. And so I just started praying and praying. Um, I didn't know what to do, but I had the old police report, 
And that, the report, they recognized a suspect from the composite drawing that was done. He had a criminal past. He was paroled from prison. Um, I clearly picked him out of a lineup, and he failed a lie detector test. But he was never arrested because they could not find the truck. But in the police report, it had his name, social security number, and date of birth. And in the days of internet, it was very easy to find out that he's still alive and to find his address. So I don't recommend anyone do this without a clear calling from God. But I felt like God was calling me to bless my enemy. So I was headed to the area where he lived, and I had just prayed and prayed that, Lord, if you want me to do anything, you're going to have to strengthen me, make me brave, give me the words to say. I didn't know what would happen, what I would do. I was just an available vessel who was trusting God. So I went to the trailer where he lived and knocked on the door, and I heard a dog barking, but no one came to the door. So I left, and I was like, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for making me brave. Thank you that no one answered that door. And I went and got gas, and then I just felt like God was saying, go back. Go back and knock again. So I went back a second time, and I knocked on that door, but this time everything on the porch had been rearranged. There was dog food out. I knew he was home. So I knocked on that door, and again, he did not answer. But I was standing there on a beautiful day in the light. I'm sure surrounded by angels with all of heaven on my side, knocking on my enemy's door with the goal to bless him. And I want to tell you, it was a defining moment for me. God changed me in that moment. Um, I really felt like I needed to give him the good news, and I ended up writing him a letter, which I know he received. And the gist of the letter was, Jesus loves you, and it's not too late. But I just want to tell you that God was so faithful through it all. I truly believe that he uses all things, all evil, all sickness, all suffering, all heartbreak, for our good, if we trust in his glory, if we trust him in our detours. Our greatest brokenness becomes our greatest healing and then our greatest testimony. How can I not love my story when it's the very thing that showed me God's love, his power, his mercy, and it's what brought me my salvation? So I just believe there is hope for a people like us. There is hope for a world like ours. And I just want to say when he changes us, we will never be the same. And it just makes me want to shout, oh, the glory of it all. Thank you. Thank you, Patty. Father, we just pray. Thank you for Patty and her testimony, Lord. Thank you that you've given her the boldness, the courage to be able to share this with others. And Lord, your word says that he is overcome by the blood of the lamb and the power of our testimony. And Father, I pray that someone that hears this today will come out of that darkness into your marvelous light like you did for Patty. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. That takes a lot of courage to do that.
So we're going to get ready to close. I'm going to go back to that question that's been coming back to us over and over again. But what if you believe that behind all those bad things, there was a good God taking care of you and working all things for good? What if? What if? The praise team is going to come back out. They're going to start playing a song as we get prepared for a response. Those that's praying with others, would you come and make your way up to altars? I'm going to take our time here. As we were preparing for today, one of our pastors, we were having a discussion. They said, you know, we have to be prepared for the day like today because with a testimony like that, it's going to stir some things up in our midst, and we don't want to rush past that. Because where Patty had her specific experience, many of us have had our own. And many of us, somewhat like her, where people told us, just forget it. Don't bring it up anymore. And we find ourselves living in captivity. It even manifests sometimes in our physical bodies. A sickness, an illness. And we begin to question God. We begin to wonder, why me, Lord? You know, those questions, how would your attitude change toward what has happened in your past? If you believe that God was with you, how would your attitude change toward what happened in your past? I keep asking if we believe. I believe we all could believe. You know, we may say we believe, but, you know, when it comes to hard things, sometimes our our belief gets weak. We get shaky. And that's what I believe God is calling us to this morning. Whom would you forgive? Whom would you forgive if you really believe that God was with you even when they did what they did against you? That God saw it all. He knows it all. And that in his sovereignty and in his providential nature, he, he has designs to take that and twist it around and use it for the, not twist it, but shape it and use it for good. Patty, Patty spends time counseling folks, women who've gone through experiences like she's gone through. Who better to help someone than someone who God has delivered from that very thing? How does it impact the situation you are in right now? How does what impacted you ask? Glad you asked. How does believing that God is with you, God is there, he is available, he loves you, he's for you, he's not, how does that impact the situation you're in right now? And finally, I ask the question, can you rejoice in the broken places in your life?
you bow your heads with me, please? Father, we thank you for this life story of Joseph that we find in in your holy word. And Father, we've read through it. It's been kind of informational. It's been a good story. But Lord, now I ask you, Holy Spirit, to, to take this story and apply it to each heart in this room as they think about the questions that's before them. And as all heads are bowed, eyes are closed, I'm going to ask you a question. If you have something in your life that you've been struggling with and you realize right now it's been for far too long and you desire you desire, your desire right now for God to use that for good what has been meant for evil in your life would you just raise your hand where you sit just raise your hand raise your hand raise your hand thank you if, if you are in a situation right now, if you are in a situation right now, and it's tough, it's hard, it's difficult, and you have found yourself asking that question, God, where are you? Where are you, Lord? Would you raise your hand right now? Just raise it up. We're just making acts of faith. That's all we're doing. We're just taking steps of faith. So I see there are enough people and there are other questions that I'm quite sure many of us are wrestling with. So as we stand, as we stand, before we take, a move, take any steps, I want them to go ahead and sing this song. This song, The Reckless Love of God. I, I, as I was preparing the message, Dwayne texted me earlier this week, what, what song, what, how you want to respond? And this song was on my mind already. And I asked him, well, is it possible for this song? Because there's something about this song it's a controversial song in some circles because some people can't get, wrap their head around the reckless love of God. They say, that's just not, there's something wrong with that. But God works through reckless things as he worked in Patty's life, as he's worked in some of our lives. And this song, to me, gets at the heart of it. We're going to sing it once, and then as we sing it, altars are open. Come and respond.